Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen and I'm Caroline. And today we are talking about a band called Pussy Riot. Yes, this is a natural, organic extension of our last episode, which was women and punk music and the Riot Girl movement. Now we have Pussy Riot, who has started a rather dynamic discussion the world over. Yes, and if you are uncomfortable with the word pussy, uh, I don't know what to tell you because we're about to say pussy a lot. Yeah. So you can either grin and bear it and start a pussy drinking game of sorts, or uh, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Or you can just go read about it. Yeah, and I'm okay with us saying, normally in the podcast, I would not say the word pussy, mm-hmm. but when it has been said so many times in the past few weeks uh, on the radio and on like uh, large news broadcasts. Yeah, if the New York Times is printing the word pussy... It's it's time for us to say it on the podcast. Yes. So this is Who is Pussy Riot slash the episode in which we say pussy a lot on the podcast. But we're talking about Pussy Riot uh, because uh, it is one of the biggest news stories going on, I would say, for women and music. We, would you agree with I that? I agree. And we don't talk about Russia a lot. No. And we just decided since everybody else is talking about Pussy Riot... Why don't we talk about Pussy Riot? Exactly. So with no further ado, what on earth is Pussy Riot? Well, let me tell you. It is a Russian activist punk band slash collective formed in September 2011 as a protest against Vladimir Putin's announcement that he was going to go for the presidency in March 2012, which is referred to as the Russian Winter Mm-hmm. Not everybody was too pleased about Putin basically saying, hey, I'm going to become president <laughs> yeah, yet do you guys, again. Do you guys mind? I'm just going to step in and be president again for a while. That's cool, right? I'm going to take my shirt off and run around shirtless again. I don't like having much time off. So is the presidency <laughs> open? I hate golf, so I'm going to be president again. Um, well, actually, Pussy Riot has a lot of members. It's it's not a uh, like it's not a a four person band right specifically it's sort of it is a movement it is a protest movement that uh, involves a lot of women and they actually encourage more people to join because they wear those balaclavas mm-hmm. so you know the like burglar masks that are all multicolored uh, to hide their identity and they wear um, tights like multicolored tights and bright dresses they kind of end up looking like the woman on the bathroom sign. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very, very true. I had not thought about that before. Uh, yeah, a lot of the attention is being given to three members who have been arrested and now convicted in Russia. But yeah, there are, it's a revolving door, Pussy Riot is. Uh, now in an interview with Vice Magazine, uh, the girls were talking to Henry Langston, uh, and this was obviously pre-arrest, and they explained the need for Pussy Riot to exist as this. Quote, we realized that this country, Russia, needs a militant, 
punk feminist street band that will rip through Moscow streets and squares, mobilize public energy against evil crooks of the Putinist junta, and enrich the Russian cultural and political opposition with themes that are important to us, such as gender and LGBT rights, problems of masculine conformity, absence of a daring political message on the musical and art scenes, and the domination of males in all areas of public discourse. Woo! I'm going to Russia! Man! Or, uh, or not. Or I will not go to Russia because it is cold. Um, yes, they, they are very, these are not just women who are like, you know what, we're feeling like we don't have a voice. We're or, gonna, we're gonna maybe start a band. These are women who are actively fighting the current political system. Current political system, the social structure. Uh, but why call yourselves Pussy Riot? Henry Langston of Vice Magazine asked them, why, why, why use, why use the word pussy? To which they also responded, uh, quote, a female sex organ, which is supposed to be receiving and shapeless, suddenly starts a radical rebellion against the cultural order, which tries to constantly define it and show its appropriate place. Yeah. So it's about what they're fighting against. They're fighting, fighting against the notion that women are, uh, subservient, uh, second class citizens. Yeah. Now, I mean, I mentioned that they're not strictly just a band, but they do have uh, very familiar musical influences, one of which is Bikini Kill, as we talked about in our previous episode on Punk Rock and the Riot Girl. And they do cite the whole Riot Girl movement as an inspiration. They say that they are kind of similar to that movement, but with an exaggerated political stance. So... Whereas, you know, Riot Girl, we talked about being sort of the domain of more middle class, educated white women mm-hmm. fighting against the status quo. This is definitely more exaggerated due to the social, political, cultural situation they're dealing with in Russia. Yeah. And if you have not heard, uh, Pussy Riot members were arrested. They had been previously arrested in January of 2012, but they were released. But then on February 21st, 2012, they performed the song Punk Prayer in Christ the Savior Cathedral in Moscow. And the lyrics include lines such as Virgin Mary, Mother of God, Banish Putin. Join our protest, Holy Virgin. And then some, a uh, little more, there's some crasser language in it. There's a lot of, uh, religious puns, punnery going on. It was a blasphemous song. It was an intentionally blasphemous anti-Putin song that they essentially stormed this cathedral. You can see the video on YouTube. It's a very fast performance and they've got their balaclavas on and their bright tights and they're thrashing around and it's very, very Riot Girl-esque and they got arrested. Three of them got arrested. Yeah, they were actually arrested just before the March 3rd election in which Putin was reelected. Um, we should talk about the whole arrest and what the fallout and what happened. They were actually charged with hooliganism motivated by religious hatred. As one writer points out, could you get a more punk, uh, accusation <laughs> flying around. Uh, they have maintained, they've been accused of maintaining a Western and unfeminine attitude throughout the whole trial. The whole, like, being cool and unapologetic, you know, just sitting there in their glass bulletproof cage in the courtroom um, because there's this whole cultural expectation that, you know, you're weak women, you should just fall down and apologize and cry and maybe we'll be lenient on you, but they're like, no, we're just, we're just going to sit here and take it. Yeah, there's this awesome picture that was 
uh, published in the New Yorker, or at least that's where I first saw it was the New Yorker, of the three girls or women. Uh, what are their names? Because I have their I have their full Russian names in front of me, and I am not going to make our listeners listen to me attempt to pronounce full Russian names. But you have the shortened versions, Caroline. Yeah, Masha, Katya, and Nadia. That's a lot easier to pronounce than th- these letters I'm looking at <laughs> right now. Uh, but yeah, there's a picture of the the three women sitting in I guess in Russian courtrooms. You have to mm-hmm. if you've been accused of a crime, you have to sit in these. These cages and they're, they're not smirking necessarily at the guard, but they just look almost amused in a way because they have to know the attention worldwide that their actions have gotten them. Well, I mean, you would smirk too if you read some of these charges. Uh, on June 12th, the indictment was published. Uh, they were accused of blasphemous humiliation of the church. Uh, the prosecution called their outfits defiantly bright uh, and accused them of jumping, lifting up legs, imitating dance and punching, which contributed to severe public disorder. And then on August 17th, 2012, they were convicted uh, based on Article 213 of the Russian Criminal Code for gross violation of the social order uh, that expresses patent contempt towards society on motives of political, ideological, racial, national, or religious hatred or enmity. And it's that religious hatred part that they that really got them because they were doing it in this church. They were singing this blasphemous song. Um, and all of that sums up to hooliganism. And it carried a possible sentence of up to seven years but they were actually sentenced to two years in prison for rushing the church and singing the song. And of course, in the West, our reaction to it is, whoa, Russia, hello, freedom of speech. This is insanity. These girls are, you know, they're women. I keep calling them girls, but I want to call them women specifically. Uh, these women are simply singing a song how how can you be arrested for singing something that uh yeah is it blasphemous is it anti-putin you know it could be uh akin to someone singing an anti-obama song which i'm sure a lot of there are probably anti-obama songs out there none of which i want to hear uh but yeah so they've, they've gotten a ton of support from uh western uh musicians madonna was uh playing in moscow in august and stopped her concert to to give a speech about how Pussy Riot needed to be freed, and then she stripped down to a black bra and had Pussy Riot written on her back. Um, well, it it also makes sense when you when you hear their closing statements. I mean, the things that they argue make a lot of sense to the Western brain, basically. So on August eighth, they delivered their closing statements and really focused on on Putin's administration and corruption. They lamented the marginalization of contemporary art, the lack of philosophical thought and of gender stereotyping. And they said that educational institutions in the country inculcate cruelty and intolerance of nonconformity. And they defended their performance as an act of civic engagement. Yeah. And um, there is a lot about the um, that artistic expression aspect of it. And one thing that is not getting talked about in a lot of the Western media coverage is the cultural backdrop 
of this um, art-based group called Voina. I hope mm-hmm. I'm pronouncing that right. Um, it's a St. Petersburg-based art group that's often cited as the inspiration for Pussy Riot. Um, they've staged provocative, politically motivated performance art, including a public orgy. Yes, I said that, a public orgy. Um, some members were also arrested, but they were released, interestingly enough, for uh, graffiti fans out there, a UK graffiti artist, Banksy, actually bailed them out at one point. Um, and, but then the group also received a National Innovation Award in 2010, which is Russia's only contemporary visual arts honor. So we have this counterculture arts group that's doing all of these public demonstrations and this public art, which art, which included, for instance, painting a penis on a drawbridge. So whenever it went up, hey, you have an erect penis. Um, but they received an award for it. So, but then we have Pussy Riot. They're arrested and released. But then it's like what they're doing, singing a song in a church, crossed f- even greater lines somehow than having a public, like public sex acts. Yeah. Well, uh, Russian journalist Vadim uh, Nikitin, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, wrote an editorial on August 20 in the New York Times. Um, he said, basically, if if you're just now supporting Pussy Riot, uh, when they're clearly in the right and the government's clearly in the wrong, you're you're kind of guilty of opportunism because they're so closely linked with Voina. So if all of these other things that they are using to to fight the government, fight the patriarchy, you know, fight the man, if all of these other th- other things disgust you, scare you, turn you off, you know. And all of a sudden, this like happy little punk dance they did in a church is like, oh, oh yeah, that's cool. It wasn't happy. Did you see it? <laughs> Punching. It was angry. Lift, lifting up of legs. <laughs> um, yeah, he says that maybe that's uh, opportunism and that the West just doesn't understand really the whole thought process behind Russian radicalism. He says that freedom of expression is alien to Russian radicals. And that Pussy Riot is not looking for self-expression. They're looking, as I said earlier, to radically change society and that they're just as contemptuous of capitalism as they are of the system over in Russia. Yeah, that's why I felt like it was, you know, it is an important topic to to talk about, if only as such a prime example of how the Western media lens might not be giving you the entire story of what really is happening in Russia. Because, yeah, over here in the West, everybody's tweeting about it. I know the day of the conviction, I went on Twitter, and a lot of people had changed their avatars to a free pussy riot, like Solidarity Fist for a day. Some people got a hooligan tattoos and Solidarity. We're doing all of these symbolic things. We have Bikini Kill, front woman and riot girl pioneer Kathleen Hanna speaking out on their behalf, playing a benefit for them in Brooklyn. All of these things which I'm not saying it's uh, it's negative at all, but it's not looking at what is really happening. For instance, uh, the Russian public is not in love with Pussy Riot. Yeah, I mean they are they're incredibly controversial. Um, there was a post written by Anatoly Carlin in Al Jazeera, um, and he said that in an August poll, only seven percent of the Russian public felt respect or sympathy for Pussy Riot. 31% felt irritation. 44% felt the judicial process was fair and impartial. And let's back this up even more and talk about the um, the issues that Pussy Riot is uh, 
I guess, protesting for, such as gender equality and LGBT rights. Um, again, Anatoly Carlin says, uh, support for LGBT rights and gay marriage in Russia, 14%. Uh, and Pussy Riot is seen as something in Russia called a posh lost or petty, self-satisfied vulgarity. And in, re- in response to the punk prayer performance and the Pussy Riot arrests a series of quote, anti-pussings or demonstrations for the preservation of moral purity against Pussy Riot sprang out all around Russia. Yeah, Michael Edov, who's the editor at GQ Russia, gave gave some perspective in the New York Times. He says that gender equality and the rights of ethnic minorities and gays remain, remain outside the scope of Russian liberalism, which actually, he says, looks more like the American Tea Party. He says that the idea that liberalism is partly about upholding someone else's liberty, including their right to do something that you find offensive, is an exotic and untested notion in Russia. And a lot of people have taken issue with the way that uh, this whole trial, arrest, all of this has been portrayed in Western media. Uh, Sarah Kinzior over at The Atlantic said that Western coverage has reduced these dissidents to more familiar narratives of youthful rebellion or damsels in distress, missing their entire entire point and adopting the language that Moscow uses to marginalize them in order to celebrate them. So we're saying, like, why are you scared of some little girls in dresses? Meanwhile, it's like... Moscow is over there saying, you know, look at these these little girls, you know, d- destroying society. Yeah, it's not the fact that uh, it's not a problem that it has received so much coverage and that a lot of Pussy Riot is becoming a household name in a way. The problem is that we are it's like we're not learning the bigger lesson mm-hmm. um, and that puts Pussy Riot and the values that they stand for at risk of just being washed away in another tide of, you know, oh, well, okay, they'll be released and then will we hear from them again? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think it's, uh, I think it's worth really looking at why we care. Mm-hmm. And by we, I mean, you know, us like sitting here miles and miles away from Russia and what it really means for the state of, Things like LGBT rights, gender equality, and uh, politics, and open government around the world. Because it's yeah. really easy to tweet about it when you have the freedom to to do so. And um, also, Anatoly Carlin and Al Jazeera points out that, um, yeah, I mean, does this law, this Russian law, seem crazy? This hooliganism seem very extreme? Absolutely. But he also says, you know what? Laws like that putting similar restrictions on speech are not uh you know specific just to Russia he says the UK has a law against quote threatening abusive or insulting words or behavior um also in France for instance um some pussy riot protesters who are wearing balaclavas were arrested because France has a law banning um covering face coverings in public so it's you know, it's easy to point point things out um, like that, but we have to we have to take a more global view. Exactly, and part of that is really getting a feel for the context of this whole thing. Mark Ames at NotSafeForWorkCorporation.com, formerly of Exile Newspaper over in Russia, says that a huge number of Russians want to get medieval on the Pussy Riot girls, string them up in Red Square, and make it hurt. Even Russians who have protested Putin are against these women. And he explains this by saying that part of the hostility towards these women stems from the support they've received from the West. 
quote, they see another dastardly plot by the West to humiliate Mother Russia. And he even says that we we cannot, as Westerners, really understand why Russians react uh, the way that they do to some of these things. Another really important contextual point is that we have to look at the site of the protest. Yes, it was a church, but what's the deal with that particular church? It's a rebuilt cathedral. The Soviet government tore down the original in 1931 and replaced it with a swimming pool. It actually wasn't rebuilt until the 90s and consecrated in the year 2000. So look back. In the 1920s, the Bolsheviks wiped out church leaders. There was a lot of persecution of Orthodox uh, church members. So this whole idea of religious freedom is kind of a touchy subject because... I mean, I'm sure they picked the church for a reason. You know, they they really wanted to get attention for their anti-Putin movement. But a lot of people over there are saying, really, you couldn't have done this somewhere else. Uh, and speaking of Putin, on August 3rd, uh, he did publicly state that while he is not exactly a Pussy Riot fan, if I may paraphrase, uh, but that the three women, quote, shouldn't be judged too harshly. And actually, as we speak, there is a Russian presidential human rights council that is re-examining the case. And again, I say those things not to not to say, hey, give Putin a pass. <laughs> Although I did see on the Internet today that he is flying out trying to save wild birds. Okay. And random Putin fact that we can probably cut as we're editing this podcast. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying all of, uh, I'm not dropping those, those facts to try to burnish the image of Vladimir Putin at all. But again, I, I, I hope with this podcast, we can broaden the scope of our understanding about what Pussy Riot means, whether or not it is relevant beyond just some crazy news item that happened in 2012 that we might forget about, you know, in a couple of years. Well, we should also look at ourselves and what we're doing with it. Like Chloe Savini led a support rally or whatever for these women. Um, Going back to Sarah Kinsey or at the Atlantic, she asked the question, and this is related to a podcast we did earlier. Are women, are the women of Pussy Riot being treated like manic pixie dream girls? Are they just blank revolutionary slates onto which Westerners are projecting their hipster fantasies, she wants to know? Because she points out that, and as Kristen said, you know, mentioned the whole Twitter thing, like people changing their pictures or getting tattoos, like these aren't really revolutionary acts that women in the West are are, are doing. And not that it's bad. I'm not criticizing, like, you know, support your fellow women the world over, but She says that this whole thing is spawning protests free from arrest or anxiety, isolated from historical or political context. And so what I wonder reading that is maybe Western women should be protesting within our own social and political context. Maybe we do need to have something sparked in this country. So, you know, she's criticizing the people who are just like changing their Twitter pictures or whatever. Maybe it is time that we took a look at our own situation. Caroline, what it sounds like to me is that you're calling for a pussy riot. I mean, I don't have a balaclava or anything. Hey, you can make your own. <laughs> but no, I think I think that is that's the that's a great way to to sum it all up, you know? It's um I guess my my number one concern with the inundation of news coverage about pussy riot is that it's actually devaluing 
what could be an, a, an important reexamination of where we are mm-hmm, exactly. in the West. And all of those, you know, all, looking back at all of the, the riot girl stuff that's now coming back up and thinking about the national political conversations that we're having about freedom and freedom and liberty and our personal bodily integrity. Yeah. I mean, instead of just letting this moment pass by as some little pop culture blip, you know, like, oh, look at these women. They danced around in a church and now it's over and I'm going to go eat a hamburger. You know, like maybe we do need to talk about, well, what's the situation with our laws Mm -hmm. in our country and and our situation with women's rights, gay rights, etc. So there you have it. Who is Pussy Riot? We've told you, and a lot more things. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely encourage folks to look outside of uh, just the the sound bites that we're getting. Um, and it is still so fun for me to turn on NPR and hear people saying "pussy" mm-hmm. a lot. Or try to talk around it. Yeah, there was there was a little while when when certain news outlets were trying to go. I think someone I don't know if it was on CNN or where it was, but they were talking about Pussy Riot and referred to it as uh, the name of a band that we cannot say (laughs) on television. But the second word is riot. (laughs) So we hope that you have enjoyed this Pussy Riot conversation. Let us know what you think about the whole pussy right thing. I mean, do you do you think it's just a flash in the pan? Do you, do you care? Um, are you offended by what they've done? A lot of people are offended by uh, by desecrating. I mean, a, yeah, a religious. A lot like of people that. are pointing out that that wouldn't really fly in a lot of American towns either. Yeah. So lots to talk about. Mom stuff at discovery dot com is where you can send your letters or send us a shout over on Facebook. And in the meantime. We've got a letter here, a couple of letters, in fact, on our episode on matchmaking. Ellie wrote in, hoping to clear up a couple misconceptions on our podcast. She said, I'm a religious Jew and met my husband through a shadhan. My parents helped me clarify what was on my list. I wanted someone kind, professional, and of a similar religious background. And then together, we went to the shadhan, who recommended various boys. After that, the two of us were free to date and choose to marry or not. I actually went out with well over ten guys before I found that special spark. My father was supportive, certainly, and I valued his advice throughout the dating process, but I definitely made my own decision. There is actually a Jewish law that the marriage is not valid if the woman was coerced in any way. So thanks, Ellie, for that insight. Okay, here we have an email that provides uh, some context about Asian matchmaking. This is from Hazel. Uh, she says, it was really interesting to hear about matchmaking in the U.S. I always thought it was more of an Asian thing. In Korea, matchmaking is huge and ranges from friends setting you up to matchmaking companies that like to call themselves wedding information companies, whatever that means. In college, one popular pastime is the mass blind date, which are simply called meetings. Usually it's four to five girls from one school and four to five guys from another school. You get together and drink and exchange numbers if all goes well. One-on-one blind dates are more popular among slightly older people, mid to late 20s, and are usually set up by the friends, but sometimes by relatives as well. For people who are even older, there are the wedding information companies. You can join for a nominal fee, although it's usually free for women because there are far more single men than women at the moment in Korea for various reasons. Often, the companies will give you a score based on things like your looks, your educational background, your job, your income, your parents' jobs, and income, etc., 
I've heard that women are rated on a different scale than men. Women that have graduated from the best universities are sometimes given lower scores because apparently men don't want women who are more educated than they are. I occasionally get spam calls from these companies, and even though I tell them I have a boyfriend, they are persistent. One lady told me I should visit them anyway just to take a look at their portfolio of eligible bachelors, and then I didn't have to tell my boyfriend about it. As a tie-in to your superstition podcast, here you go, many Korean couples still consult soothsayers as to when they should have their wedding. I've known people who weren't able to get married on the day they wanted because the soothsayer told them it would be unlucky, and their parents refused to budge on the issue. Very interesting, Hazel. Thank you. And thanks to everyone who's written in to momstuffadiscovery.com. And you can also head over to Facebook and like us. Follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. And how about you start following our brand new blog over at Tumblr. We're stuffmomnevertoldyou.tumblr.com. And if you would like to get a little smarter this week, why don't you head over to our website? It's HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?